Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Produce Buzzers Podcast. We are so happy you have joined us today, and I think you will be too after the show is over, because you will learn a lot about fresh fruits and vegetables, how to select and store them, how to prepare and cook them, and surprising facts about their history and origin. We hope it inspires you to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, not only for your health, but also for your delight and pleasure as you explore their amazing world of taste and delicious flavors. Eating more of them will transform your life in so many positive ways. So settle back, relax, and get ready for another delicious adventure with the Produce Buzzers. Produce Brothers fans, and welcome to another delicious episode of the Produce Buzzers podcast. I'm Edwin Stepp, your host and executive editor of ProduceBuzz.com. I'm joined once again by Teresa Nolan, the president and founder of Produce Buzz, along with Rick Stepp and Cynthia Benedetto, both contributing editors to Produce Buzz. Now, Produce Buzzers podcast fans, June is National Mango Month. So in this week's episode, we celebrate this delicious and healthy fruit, one of the most popular fruits in the world, if not the most popular. Mangoes are one of the oldest fruits known to humans. They were written about over 4,000 years ago in Indian Hindustan writings. India is where they originated and are considered a sacred fruit there, as well as other Asian cultures. They became symbols for many rulers and spiritual leaders throughout Indian and Asian history. According to legend, Buddha meditated under a mango tree. Well, we don't know if mangoes are actually sacred, but we do know that the experience of eating them is divine. And today we have a very special guest joining us on the podcast to tell us all about mangoes. She is one of the world's foremost experts on mangoes. Dr. Norris Ledesma is a horticulturalist specializing in tropical fruits. She holds a master's degree in environmental education from the Universidad de Malaga in Spain. I butchered that, didn't I? Universidad, Universidad de Malaga in Spain. In 2015, she obtained a doctorate in agricultural economics from Humboldt University in Berlin. She was an emeritus curator at the Fairchild Tropical Botanical Garden in Coral Gables, Florida for over 20 years. She is also a courtesy professor at the University of Florida in the Tropical Research and Education Center in Homestead. And she was once president of the Florida State Horticulture Society. She now works as a consultant for the mango industry, and her work has taken her all over the world, the United States, Mexico, Latin America, Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, Africa, India, Oman, and Saudi Arabia. Dr. Ledesma is on the search for the perfect mango. She has done deep research with the goal of creating interspecific hybrids between mangoes and selected species. She is looking for a mango variety that grows on a dwarf tree. Great flavor with attractive color and disease resistance, all while being grown in new sustainable and organic production systems. She is active, sharing her knowledge in South Florida, lecturing and doing volunteer work. She's received numerous awards from the Florida State Horticulture Society, and she's authored over 100 scientific and popular articles on fruit culture in the last decade, as well as co-author of three books and numerous scientific publications and popular articles. Dr. Ledesma is so passionate about mango. She says it's much more than a fruit. 
It is at the center of so many cultures and gives so much more than just culinary pleasure. She says it is a fruit for your soul. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ledesma. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Edwin, for the opportunity to share. Everybody that is listening right now, thank you. Oh, we're so excited to have you. I've watched a few of your videos out there. You're so passionate about mangoes and other tropical fruits. We're going to focus on mangoes today, but we might have you tell us a little bit more about some of the other tropical fruits you've worked with. But first, tell us more about your background. I gave a little bit, uh, some of that, but uh, where are you from originally? Uh, what was your uh, early life uh, like? Yes, uh, I am from a small village. From where? I'm sorry. A small village in Colombia. Oh, a small village in Colombia. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah uh, I grew up in a coffee farm, small coffee farm, with my grandmother. Uh, I'm a country girl. That's what I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. So, Colombia is your home country. Yes. Miami is my home. I love Miami. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you grew up on a, what was it like growing up on a coffee? Would you call them plantations, a coffee plantation or coffee farm? Yeah, because it's a, uh, you know, in Colombia, we have very small farms. And that was my case. No more than five acres. And it, where coffee grows with cocoa, plantains. Uh, an avocado, maybe a mango, a couple of chickens running around. <laughs> so that's how we look uh, a regular farm. Yeah, yeah. So you grow a little bit of everything, but certainly a few a few tropical fruits you mentioned there. So that's cool. oh yes. So you oh you, yeah. Your your knowledge goes way back, not just from studying at university. So that's great. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about those. I mentioned your degrees uh, and what you studied. Tell us a bit about your education and wh why, where, and why did you choose the topics to study? Well, I think it's uh, from the way that I grew up. Uh, I knew since, since I was very little that I want to get my hands in the dirt. Oh. And, I, and I love uh, wearing rubber boots and my hat. <laughs> so that's that's my fashion. So that's what I like. First love, I will say that. I was forestry engineer. Oh. I graduated from Colombia and I had the, the luxury to work in the Amazons for seven years uh, at the jungle, um, working with uh, indigenous species, uh, with uh, uh, local people, uh, helping them to collect seeds and, and, and rejuvenate the, the forest. And in that journey, I, I have to work with tropical fruits, uh, native tropical fruits from the, from the jungle. So that was my first background before I moved to the U.S. That's fascinating. So you were helping to preserve the Amazon there in Colombia uh, and maybe other places too. That's So that your, your first love was then, well, first of all, I love you talking about having the boots and the hat and getting into the dirt. <laughs> Fantastic. But then the to, to be in the forest and to understand those ecosystems in a tropical forest must have been fascinating. Yes, it was, and and everything is connected. My grandmother used to say that yeah. that everything that you learn in the end has a purpose. Right. And and I said, okay, my background is 
forest engineer of that life, that part of my life. And now I'm working with mangoes. What is the connection with that? So when I started working with mangoes, uh, when I came to the U.S. Uh, working at Fairchild, I, I started as a volunteer in the beginning. And then I was hired to do uh, as a, a curator of the tropical fruits. And I inherited the collection from Dr. Dr. David Fairchild. Uh, we used to have um, close to 100 different mango uh, cultivars. And, and I said to myself, what am I going to do? I, I, I thought the mangoes uh, were originally from Colombia because I grew up with them. That, that's very natural for us. And, and I said, how can I speed this progress? Like, how can I learn so quick all this uh, heritage and, that we have here in South Florida, which is lovely to see how much history with mangoes we have here in, in South Florida. And, and I started reading, reading David Fairchild's journeys and going to the archives um, and see all his journey. He visited Colombia many times. He introduced many of our fruits like anonas, um, especially uh, uh, anonas and, um, and berries from Colombia many years ago. Right. And I was fascinated. He was my inspiration when I just came here. So this, and this man's name is David Fairchild, did you say? Correct. Right. We carry that name uh, to the institution that we have right. now. Right. Yes. And he he went to Colombia. Was he one of the first to bring them into Florida and to start growing them in Florida? Or... Yeah, David Fairchild is responsible for many of the food that we eat today, not just in the U.S., all over. All over. It's, it's fascinating. I invite you to, to read more about him. I will. I, I, yeah. I'm ashamed to say I didn't know his name, but I, I suppose that he focused primarily on tropical fruits. Avocados. He has so many things to say about avocados. If you start reading about him and how avocados became from a very weird green fruit to the way it is today, a commodity, and very expensive. He changed that, introducing the first avocados to the U.S. Oh, I, I, I'm ashamed that I don't know more about him, but I'm going to look. At we, can, we can talk about that in another program because yeah. the avocado history is lovely as well. Right. We've, we've, uh, we've done a little bit on avocados. In fact, uh, Teresa, with her company, she represented the California Avocado Commission for many mm -hmm. years, and we did a lot of work uh, showing retailers how to properly ripen them and uh, made an impact in getting them more popular across the, the country. That was back in the 90s. But so we should do another episode on avocados. That would be good. Now, is David Fairchild still living or is he? No, no. He passed away many years ago, yeah. but his legacy is still alive. Right. Definitely. Well, that is fascinating. <laughs> so what were the other fruits you mentioned that he brought from Colombia to here? You said bananas, like uh, sour apple and yeah, sugar apple, all of those that kind. That's great. So, you went to work as a volunteer there. Uh, you had already heard about him and knew about him before that, I assume, and that you were motivated. Not really. That's the thing. I knew that I was coming to the U.S. and I didn't want to lose my professional path. So. 
I visited Florida Spice Park. That was my first visit when I came to Miami. And I love it. It's such a beautiful place that I invite everybody to visit. It's in Homestead, Florida, and it's the only ethnobotanic garden in the U.S. Everything is edible or can be used for anything, uh, but they didn't have any opportunities for me as a volunteer. So I joined Fairchild and I started as a curator uh, like four months later and until I retired. That, that, that happened four years ago. So my job was to take care of the collection that I was not just mangoes, also, we had avocados, we have mame sapote, sapodilla, canistel, and jackfruit. Uh, so, there was, yeah. And what was the name? You said there was a spice garden? I, I'm going to show Fruit and a Spice Park. Oh, Fruit and Spice Park, and that's in Homestead. Yes, it's a lovely place, and they have many events, and also they celebrate mango in July. So it's a good place to visit. Right, yeah. It's interesting because my fa- I told you my father was a farmer, and he farmed in North Carolina in the summer and fall. But we used to go to Homestead in the winter, and he would farm down there. I was too young to remember it, but Rick and Teresa might remember. Do you guys know about the spice and the fruit and spice park? Have you ever no. heard of uh, it? No. I, I think I've heard of it, but I've never been there. It's a place to visit, uh, spend the whole day eating from the trees, whatever is in season that is allowed. And you can take uh, tours that take you to different places. Um, they have a, a, an Africa continent plot and also they have Australian plot. So you can travel all over through plants. Very interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get back to mangoes. I've read that mangoes are eaten more than any other fruit in the world. Do you think that's true? I would like to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It's is a perfect fruit to eat. Um, but they are debating between bananas. And I, I'm sure that banana is, is, is the fruit that is more consumed. But... I cannot imagine. Uh, I haven't. I haven't seen in anybody the passion eating bananas compared with man. Let's <laughs> put it true. that way. That it's true. you know bananas are a comfortable fruit, so they come in a perfect package that you can just peel it. It's inexpensive. Almost everybody can afford it, and it fills your belly because it's it's quite heavy. But you cannot. I, I, I haven't seen anybody that say, oh, I, I remember those bananas. <laughs> Mangoes, that's a different story. Everybody's just roll their eyes up and start talking about their, their childhood, their grandpa, the mangoes that they grew up with, and, and talking about that. Mangoes are special fruit. It touches people's heart. And, and I have a theory about it. I believe it's uh, studying mangoes for more than 20 years in different fields. Uh, mangoes is a very complex fruit. It has, uh, when you study mangoes in terms of flavors, uh, you discover that there are so many. And, and 
when you do it professionally speaking, working with chefs and and all these people that are helping us to develop a different way to describe mangoes. It is it's so intense. There are some that they have these touches of um, limony, uh, they are more as, as, acidic, but there are others that they have these sparks of uh, pineapple, and some of them, they are more intense, and they have actually onion and garlic on it, and they actually take like durians. Oh. And when you translate all these uh, senses that you remember in, 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 in your in your brain, then wake up, ah, I, I think I ate something like that, and you put the name pineapple. But when you translate this in compounds, it is amazing. It, it translates all the components of nutritional value of the fruit. And that's why I believe, because it's so complex that people will remember mango in a different way than a banana. Banana is more simple. Watermelon. Watermelon is simple. It's nice and refreshing, but doesn't have that complex uh, that, that the mango has. So, so I believe that it has to be with the nutritional value. And, um, and there are studies right now that are proving exactly what the mango is made of. So it's, it, it, it's interesting working with, you know, my, I have to tease you. Uh, working with mangoes, I have to taste mangoes during mango season, all of them, and put names on it and put it in this software that is going to show me all the profile flavor of this fruit. So, yeah, so you are more than welcome to come uh, sometime and, <laughs> and study mangoes with me. <laughs> you, have such a, you have such a tough job. Dr. So bad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to get spoil. I want to get to the nutritional value in a minute, but I want to back up a bit to the varieties. I do. I know there are hundreds of varieties of mangoes. Do you know? Do they know how many different varieties are? Are they estimates? It depends. Who are you asking? Yeah. Uh, for example, <laughs> yeah, and I said that because if you go to India and you visit a collection. Uh, different. They have different collections. It's a huge country and very passionate by mangoes. So you can count over a thousand different ones. Uh, but uh, here in Florida, we are talking about about five hundred. Um, five hundred here in South Florida, which is a hot spot for diversity. I think we don't have many. A production, our probably three three thousand acres maximum we have in mangoes in South Florida. Oh. But talking about diversity, this is a hot spot for genes of mangoes. We have so so much diversity, even in everybody's backyard. Are mangoes native to Florida or are they brought in? They were brought in. Yeah. And, that, and that's an interesting thing because they came here probably in 1600 by the pirates. Uh, I like to tell you stories. Yeah, so please. We love if it. you allowed me. Yeah, <laughs> so it was the time we thought that earth was flat. And then 
they came with idea then what's wrong so they want to make a shortcut and they, and they want to trade things for these things so they went to india and get spices and all the things that they work with um but they, they want to make the journey around to shortcut so they have to fill their boat with everything that they have to eat including mangoes but the mangoes have to be the ones that travel the best the tiny ones with a lot of fibers that many people don't like because the fibers are sticking your teeth <laughs> but those are the best mangoes to travel long journeys through the ocean so they pick these tiny mangoes and they put it in their boat oh after many days in the ocean they saw land. Oh, so excited. Oh, we got it. Land, land. So they dump all the garbage that they had. They didn't know that they were in La Española in the Caribbean. Right. So they dump everything. And many of those seeds, including the mango seeds, start germinating. And those trees, after 20 years, they were mature trees. They produce fruit already, and those seeds fell in the ground, produce new seeds, and over and over and over. The same way those mangoes arrive to South Florida. So you see mangoes, very interesting, in um, Pine Island, near to Naples, mm -hmm. in the Gulf Coast, and also even uh, to Tampa. All those mangoes, especially to... to, to um, uh, to Pine Island, uh, they have these ancient trees, beautiful trees, that probably they have, they are 200 years old, and they have the roots in, in the salty water growing, and the kids just jump from the branches, go to the water, enjoying a mango, a mango fruit. Oh. That's happening still today. And we are going to celebrate Mango Mania in Pine Island in July 15th. Come and join us. Oh, it's nice. going to be a wonderful experience. And all these mangoes start moving around in the south of the peninsula to the other side of the coast as well. Key West, all the keys. The keys were more famous and important than Miami in those days. Hmm. And our Seminoles used to be the farmers, mango farmers in those days. But that was until later on, in 1900s, then Dr. David Fairchild went to India in one of his expeditions and brought 35 grafted trees from India. And he was so successful and, and brought these mangoes, but just one survived. And that was the Mulgova mango. The Mulgova mango was planted here in Coconut Grove, Florida. Can you say that name again and maybe spell it? What What was the type of mango? Mulgova is M-U-L-G-O-B-A. Okay. Mulgova. And that was brought. He brought that from India. Yes, that was the only survivor tree, oh. and it was planted in Coconut Grove. The tree grew. The mulgoba start breeding, crossing pollen from the other flowers of the trees around. So they were cross-pollinating. They cross-pollinated, so they start blooming and they start breeding. 
Nobody pay attention to it. They make a fruit and the fruit fell in the ground and the babies start growing under the Mulgova canopy. So what happened? One of those trees start growing and produce fruit. But the Mulgova was a not very colorful mango, small and not very attractive. But then this lady went to his backyard and looked up and said, wow, what is this? And she was surprised about it. She said, but this is not a mango that she remembers. It was red, beautiful. And she took the mango to get inside. She was Mrs. Hayden. And that's the story of the Hayden mango. Yes, the most popular commercial. Yes, that's why everybody has a Hayden mango in our community still. All the big trees are Hayden. If you go to Hawaii, everything is Hayden also. It's our grandpa tree, and it has a beautiful story. So Mrs. Hayden found that under the Mogoba. Yes. Wow. And that's the mango that started uh, to be uh, cloned, I mean grafted. Uh, Many people copy the same tree, and and it's very popular right now. Uh, It went to Mexico, Central America, Colombia, uh, Peru, it became so popular because the color, we are attracted by color, but colorful have a meaning also. Red is very powerful. Yellow, it is, but not that much. Green, you have doubts. <laughs> you don't need inter- interpretation for that. It's just instant in your brain. If you develop a mango that is purple, for me, that's the key. That's why I've been spending so much time working in that direction. So why purple, yes. Edwin? Why purple? Let's divide. Let's divide that. Why purple? So now we are making tomatoes that color. We are making carrots. Everything antioxidant is good for your health. That color is a fingerprint for your health. Yeah. So, so everything which is purple is antioxidant and it makes you uh, younger. Uh, it prevents from cancer. So that's very powerful color right now in in our, in this era. So, so if we make a mango, see, yes, so go ahead. They will be more healthy if they have the purple color. Like like you said, we've got purple carrots, there's purple artichokes, there's purple Brussels sprouts, uh, and they, they have more antioxidants. That uh, yellow variety that I know is, I believe it's called the Atufo. Is that right? A tufo? That's correct. Now they change the name. They call it the honey mango, which yes. is easier. Right. Yes, that's exactly the same way. <laughs> oh. uh, Tomiakin is one of the very popular mangoes that are coming from the same story of the pirate with Mulgova. Yeah, Tommy is one of the, the good heritage growing under the Mulgova tree. Kent, Kit. Valencia Pride, all of these are coming from the same story. It's just that the grandpa is Hayden, that was the number one, but don't forget that the other ones are coming behind. So they said, oh, this pretty mango, let's look for the other ones, maybe we find something better. So they discovered Tommy Atkins, and what happened with Tommy Atkins? Red, it's beautiful, and it has a little bit of fiber, and also the shape of the mango. Is the Tommy Atkins the most popular commercial variety now, or is Hayden most popular? 
No, uh, Tommy Atkins still is the number one. And, and the reason is uh, different reasons. One is free to use. So it's not patent, it's not patent. So farmers, are, they don't have to pay royalties to use and propagate the tree. Uh, it is quite resistant. Uh, you it can adapt in different microclimates. Uh, the other reason is the color is beautiful, very productive. It's super heavy producer. You you believe you will be able to create a purple mango? I'm working on it still. Uh, I'm not young, and this project it can take forever. So we have to train new generations to help. <laughs> so, but at least I shake the genes. Um, as that when I'm saying that is I I made hybrids, uh, interspecific hybrids, which is. Mm, the mango that you know, with the grandfather and the uncle and the cousin of the mango, yeah. all together. And I just mix those genes and I left them and see what they are going to do with that. It's the same thing that happened with corn, for example. So we domesticate so much the corn that is more appealing for the consumer that we lost all these genes from the ancestors of the corn. So what I did in my professional work was to introduce all these ancestors of the mangoes, of the mangiferas that are coming mainly from Malaysia and Indonesia. They are living here in the US. And in my 20 years of my career, uh, I made hybrids between the mango that we know with these other ancient mangiferas. Um, uh, now, uh, in my retirement, having fun, that's what I'm doing. So I keep shaking jeans and with the resources I have uh, to try to, to bring new mangoes for the farmers. But we have so many good mangoes that we can change the story of mangoes. You look at what's happened in the apple industry and how they continue to find new uh, varieties, uh, but it doesn't seem like we've seen that in the, with mangoes as much. Is it more difficult to find new varieties, even though there are hundreds and thousands of them? Can you tell us a bit more about that process? Let me let, let, let me split that question in two. Okay. Uh, one thing is we have enough resources already to change the mango industry, and good ones. If we are talking about here, just in South Florida, five hundred. That's enough to to create, if we did uh, an industry with Tommy Atkins, more than a hundred years growing the same variety. So 500 different ones that we have here in South Florida is enough for the rest of humankind. But uh, yeah, that's, that will be enough. And I'm talking about free uh, varieties that they are not patent, they can use it and they don't have to pay royalties. But if we are talking about it's not enough, that's my point, it's not enough because we are losing different components in the mango that we have been domesticated. First of all, they are coming from a very narrow root. Many descendants from the same parents. So very narrow. So we need to open that possibility, introducing new, new uh, blood. So how we do that? My goal is to expand the mango production. You're looking, searching for the perfect mango. 
when are you going to develop one that does not have a pit, a seed? Uh, that's a typical one. That's uh, a typical one. <laughs> it may not be possible. But can you at least get it smaller? Yes, we, we have mangoes and they have a almost invisible seed. Oh, really? And it's, yeah, many. And we have some mangoes that also they have a loose seed, like uh, like peaches. Oh, so it comes free. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, yeah. So we, we have them already. Yeah. And do, their flavor is, is probably not as good as the others, right? No, it's absolutely delicious. Even better than the ones that you can record. Wow. One is called Jakarta. Oh, Jakarta has coconut with pineapple and banana. This is amazing. I love these flavor profiles you've been talking about today. It's that Jakarta is, I'm, I'm having talking about this for a long time. The problem is they don't like South Florida so much because it's the humidity. But I have it in the desert in Peru and Saudi Arabia, and it produces so well. It makes a very tiny tree. The problem is to to chip it because it's very very soft. So, well, yeah, yes, very hard to to find a way by 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 playing. Um, of if you can eat it just in the country, um, will be fine. But we we have already mangoes and they have those characteristics and they they are delicious. So. I'd love to find some of those. That's I love mangoes, but sometimes they're a little bit of work, you know, to get them peeled and sliced. <laughs> but it's worth it. It depends. It's it depends. There are some that are so delicate, like this algae that I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's so easy because the, this one has a flat seed and it's a very meaty mango. So you cut the chicks off and you eat it with a spoon. It is Oh, yeah. it's, this is the best way to eat a mango for me is like an Angie mango or Malika. That's another one that you can do the same thing. Malika. So you take out, yeah, they have this flat seed and you are not going to to get in danger to cut the seed, to cut yourself trying to remove the chicks. Right. So, and then you just serve it in a plate and with a spoon. So you don't get messy. You can be very fancy in the table eating a mango. Interesting. That is, mm -hmm. I'd love to try one of those. I guess I'll have to come down to Florida. I'm telling you, Edwin, next time. <laughs> that would be Let's go back to the nutrition of mangoes. You mentioned that. Can you tell us a bit about what the nutritional benefits are for mangoes? I know they're a super fruit or considered a super fruit. Well, what can I say? They are so good. And there are studies that are... Um, working on it, but basically it's in vitamins content. Yeah. So the vitamin A and vitamin B and vitamin C are very high. And, uh, and uh, so they are doing a National Mango Board, it's funding right now, serious studies, how good is for your health. You know that this is a protocol that you have to follow. So it takes a long time. But they are working on it, which I'm very happy. Then, then I the the time that they have the results, then I can claim mangoes are good for diabetes. The mangoes are good to lose weight. The mangoes are good for your health in general, with uh, with the certifications on it that will be wonderful. For now, 
They are good for to eat. They are delicious. They are very healthy, rich environments. We are very happy, Edwin, that mangoes are, are gaining more and more popularity. Uh, thanks to the National Mango Board is doing an standing uh, job promoting mangoes and the consumption of mangoes uh, in the United States. So people are more aware about the fruit. For Latin American countries, we know what the mango tastes like. Yeah. But yeah, we grew up with them. Right. But it's a, we need everybody eating mangoes and, and understanding how good the fruit is and, and how they can use it, how they can eat it. Uh, there are so many dishes that people probably in the beginning think that mangoes can be eaten as a, as a fruit. Uh, uh, as a, in desserts, in sweets, and no, savory dishes. Uh, one of my favorite ways to use mangoes, for example, is in a mango salsa, which is so easy and everybody loves it. It's good. Teresa has a mango salsa recipe that she makes and it's delicious. Yeah, nobody gets disappointed. If you are vegetarian, so you don't just don't, don't put any shrimps and, and they are good to go. This is, and it's so simple. One of my tips, Teresa, I don't know if you have the same one eating, making a mango salsa, but I like to mix 50% of the mango cubes, chop it, uh, ripe fruit, and 50% just breaking color. It make it more crunchy and, and the tartness of the green mango make it better for me. Mm, I haven't tried it that way, but I will... I will test that recipe. Now, when you say right. green mango, do you mean a mango that's not ripe or is there another variety that's a green? No, it's, it's, it's the same fruit that is not ripe. Okay. That is just breaking color. It's, it's kind of pale yellow. So it makes a, a difference in this salsa, at least for me, recipe, because it makes more balance with the sweet and the, and the tartness of the green mango. I love it. I love to put mango on fish dishes, especially like a sauce mm. or fish. And chutney, you mean like a chutney or after? Just, yeah. just a sauce. Uh, you know, I play it by ear, but making just making a sauce, it just goes very well with the fish, to, I think. And the other thing is ceviche. Ceviche is very good. Oh, it's delicious. It's the same salsa that Teresa. Yes. makes but with just with shrimps and a little bit of a uh, jalapeno on it mm. <laughs> always good <laughs> well this has been really fun uh we should probably let you go and we'd love to have you back i have a pun oh I have teresa a pun. has a pun do you do you like puns dr ledesma I'm just recording that word in my vocabulary and it's not there. Oh, <laughs> what <okay>. is that? <laughs> well, a pun is like a little joke. And Teresa's going, we, we do a, a pun related to the episode every week. Uh -huh. And uh, so she's going to tell us this joke and uh, we'll try to laugh. But usually puns are kind of bad. They're bad jokes. So we groan at them. Yeah. I came to the U.S. 40 years ago. I didn't speak any English by then. And, uh, but still, even though that I understand the words and everything, and somebody is making jokes, my reaction is late. Okay. So everybody is in the second joke, and I am still laughing about the first one. 
<laughs> don't, don't invite me to a party, Teresa. I'm going to be awful. <laughs> well, it's usually a play on words too. Puns, are, you know, it's taking a word that sounds like another word and making a joke out of it. But we'll let her tell it. You can laugh or groan or think about <laughs> All right. So Teresa is going to give us the pun, the homegrown, we call it. Uh, and Teresa, what is the pun of the day? Okay, so um, Norris was uh, talking about how the Japanese like to grow mangoes. But my question is, how do people check whether the mango is ripe in Japan? So how do the Japanese people check whether their mango is ripe? So how do the Japanese people check when their mangoes are ripe? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> how do they check? How do they know? Okay. Well, I have no clue. So Teresa, tell us the pun. Okay. Japanese people just poke a mango to see if it's ripe. Oh, poke a mango. Oh. Poke a mango. Oh. That's a good one, Teresa. I like it because that's, exa that's exactly what they do. They have a hook <laughs> and they just pluck the mango and the mango drops in the net. Very good. I'm going to steal that one. I'm so bad with jokes. You got it. That's great. That's good. Mango. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dr. Ledesma. <laughs> Edwin, before I, before I let you go, before yeah. I leave, I want everybody to have in mind that we have so many mango festivals coming up. Okay, yes. I, want I don't to want to miss that opportunity if you allow me to do it. Please tell, tell us. I know you mentioned yeah. the one in July that's in... Uh, where is it? Pine, no, Pine Island. I will. I have a list here that I will share with you. Okay. So we have so many mango festivals coming all year round. Then that's my journey. Um, I just came back from Tapachula, Mexico, for the mango festival. Uh, that was in May 10 to 13. So it depends where is mango season. They have a mango festival. You can you can travel and do tourism and have fun with your family yeah. just jumping from mango festival to the next mango festival that's what i'm doing <laughs> that's great <laughs> oh, so it gets better yeah so now is the dominican republic which is in june 10 to 11 in a city that is called bani it's organized by the mango farmers and and the government of the dominican republic it's a beautiful area nice people and good food, June 10 to 11. And then in Key West, June 17th. And then we have uh, the International Mango Festival uh, in, in India in July 9th to 10th. Yeah. And good. that one is very famous. Uh, they start making Mango Festival since uh, 1987. It must be one of the biggest, I would imagine. Big. It's a big one. It's a big one. And and they have so much passion about mangoes and it's, it's worth it. If you have some uh, intentions to go to India, just mark your calendar for July. 
yeah. and that may be worth it to do it. And then, of course, uh, the, the Mango Festival at Fairchild, which is in July 8th. And then the Mango Mania in Pine Island that I was talking about so much history there. That's in July 15th. Sounds like you're going to be really moving back and forth across the globe in the next month or two. That's fun. I hope to see you in some of those mango events. I want to come visit you somewhere, <laughs> see the mango event or the Fairchild or any of these places you've mentioned would be fantastic. So that's great. Well, you're going to be a busy traveler in the next few months. I wish you safe travels. Thank you for your time. We would like to have you back. I want to talk about avocados sometime, but we, if we could, there's more, we could have talked about mangoes. I know, but uh, we should probably let you get onto your day, prepare for your trips. <laughs> so. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, all of you and enjoy mango season. Thank you so much, Dr. Lafayette. Thanks. Thank you. All the best. Safe travels. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, thank you listeners for tuning in to the Produce Buzzers podcast. Brought to you by Produce Buzz, the gathering place for lovers of fresh fruits and veggies. We hope you were entertained a bit and educated a lot about fresh produce. Be sure to join us next time, and please tell your friends to do so as well. Like, share, and comment on our Produce Buzz Facebook page, and check out our website at www.producebuzz.com. There you will find articles about fresh fruits and veggies, how to select, store, and prepare them, as well as lots of interesting facts about all the wonderful bounty the earth provides for us. Until next time, be fruitful and don't forget to veg out.